0: Conrad, how are your knees holding up? My knees are fantastic, sir. Why do you ask? Well, I know that you
1: are a very proficient and committed skier, and I understand you're just on an awesome
0: trip. Yeah, I uh, last year I took my eldest. This year I took my middle, and next year maybe I'll take the little guy. We went skiing up in the middle of nowhere in British Columbia. There's supposed to be 24 people at this place. It's about 200,000 acres in the British Columbian wilderness. And because the snow was allegedly so bad, everyone canceled but six of us. So we had the whole place to ourselves. It was it was over the top ridiculous. You've been on the other end. You've been cruising? Cruising. I actually had a my last two weeks were a whirlwind. I had tech
1: show. Great to see if you had a tech show. And I actually had to scoot out on Thursday evening. So I didn't get to stay for all of the festivities. Because I had a scheduling conflict to travel down to Tampa to board a ship, cruise ship for my mother-in-law's 70th birthday. About 35 family members all got together to celebrate. My mother-in-law it was a great time. Great way to be together. Cruise is not really my first choice of a vacation, but I got to tell you, with kids, it was really great. Lots for the kids to do. And you're and
0: you're being the awesome spouse, the trophy
1: husband. Ha. Huh. This episode not sponsored by Claire. (laughs) But in addition to our travelings, what else are we talking about today?
0: All right. As usual, we're covering the news, a lot of Google, the Google Reddit deal. We're going to talk about Google and machine learning in the news. We are answering a listener question about the best cost per acquisition. And then finally, we're going to come back to our marketing dream team and talk about a player that we think is really important that has often gone overlooked. Lockwood, hit it. Money makes it so Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. All right, everyone, welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Let's hit the news. All right, Guy, there's a lot of talk about this Google and Reddit deal. Now, you and I talked a lot about Reddit last episode. And so it was interesting to see this hit the news. Tell me what's going on between Google and Reddit and the $60 million deal in AI. So it's funny. I'm looking at
1: this uh, CBS News article. Uh, The headline is Google Strikes $60 million deal with Reddit allowing search giant to train AI models on human posts, which is funny, but for context, there's this idea that Reddit is this bastion of human user-generated content. And Google, as it moves into Gemini and advanced Gemini land to train its AI, it wants to use that quote-unquote, user-generated content. So they're paying Reddit for API access to use all the data from Reddit to train their AI so that the AI will be getting better human input. Now, look, I'm I'm not an AI uh, scientist here. I think you know Google has not been doing a great job. People in the SEO community have been up in arms about how bad the results have been getting. For a variety of reasons, but you know, Google's trying to make this move towards helpful content. A lot of sites have been impacted by it. And my thing is, my experience, and I'm going to be talking about this on a webinar tomorrow with uh, Smith AI. So by the time this is published, you won't be able to see it, but maybe you can get a recording of it. The results aren't very good. In fact, if you compare Gemini Advanced with SGE and Google Original. I think Google original is the best results. But anyway, I, I think the takeaway here is, we'll put a link, we've talked about this before. There's a huge opportunity for businesses to be more engaged with
0: Reddit. And uh, you can go listen to that episode because we're not going to rehash all that. All right. Also in the news, speaking about AI, etc., Google working with machine learning to keep contributed content helpful. Now they talked a little bit about using machine learning to catch fake reviews faster. So we've got ostensibly a drop in the percentage of reviews that are getting through that are fake. Uh, what's your take on that, Guy? Yeah,
1: the uh, the headline is, this is February 13th, Google Maps, proud of their using machine learning to be able to f- distinguish real reviews from fake reviews. And that the big number here was 45%. Over 45% more
0: That's right. Reviews were
1: blocked or removed for violating a policy than the prior year. And, you know, in the pre-show, how does that strike you, Conrad? Is that, I mean, mission accomplished here? About half of them, 45% improvement? Sounds good.
0: Well, this is the problem in measuring things with percentages. When the absolute number has gone up a lot more than 2x, 45%, you're actually further behind than you were 12 months ago. Um, That's my sense, too, by the way. By the way, Google, you've done this to yourselves by making the reviews so unbelievably overweighted in their effectiveness, regardless of how genuine they are. So while you may be stopping 45%, you now have 500% more to weed through, and you are going backwards instead of forwards on this.
1: Yeah, we should probably have Curtis Boyd on from Transparency Company at some point to discuss this. If you're not familiar with Curtis and his work, go check out Transparency Company and what he's trying to do. But it is, it is an absolute disaster out there to the point that I think it's only a matter of time until someone gets made an example of, but we'll see.
0: And finally, you were on Trial Lawyer Nation. What was that about?
1: I was. I was very grateful to be invited as a guest on Michael Collins' great Trial Lawyer Nation. If, you, if you're a trial lawyer uh, and you want to hear... Some really great conversations, both from other trial lawyers and other people in the uh, the intersection of trial lawyering and all the tech and other stuff that goes on. Highly recommend it. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that too for people to check out that conversation. But really enjoyed my time and it's a great podcast to check out.
0: All right. After the break, we're going to answer the question, what is your best cost per acquisition? Now, loyal listeners, you'll remember that Guy and I hit the conferences with recorder in hand, asking people to ask us questions. Now, we've kind of come to the end of some of the good questions, but we did leave with this final one that goes like this. Christian Burridge, Salt Lake City, Utah, personal injury lawyer, prominently MVAs. What is your best cost per acquisition on a MVA using social media? This was a very specific question, and our answers to this are going to be tailored to the specificity of the question. What is your best cost per acquisition on social media for an MVA? Guy, what's your answer? Um 47. 47? That's out no, shekels?
1: I, <sighs> you know, I think you know, people hate this, right? You know what this conversation reminds me of, though? The ROI conversation.
0: Oh, uh, it does not annoy me as much as the ROI conversation. Well, why doesn't it annoy you? Why does it annoy you at all? And what's an MVA, Conrad? <laughs> Motor vehicle accident. Fair question for those of you who do not live in our occasionally PI focused world. I think they are, I don't even go why ROI pisses me off so much. No, why does cost per acquisition
1: still annoy you, even though if it's less than ROI?
0: Oh, fair question. That was a leading question for me to then answer. That was beautiful. Well done. A great interviewer. Thank you. Good job. You're like a podcast host. I've been doing this a minute. So to walk through the door that Guy just opened for me so beautifully, there are two elements to this. The first is the assumption that you're really looking for a low number on this. And I think that is a very, very simplistic perspective. And the reason for that is while you may actually get a really, really low number, the low number may be zero. Right, you send out a tweet. Someone saw it. They referred you a case. Cost per acquisition is zero, minus the time it took you to type out 148 characters.
1: Yeah, you got to take your hourly rate and multiply yeah. it by the oh, time yeah, that yeah, you yeah. spend.
0: All that so kind this, of garbage. It's not zero. It's, it's not, zero. not zero, but it's two dollars okay. and eighteen cents. And low that rate. is your that is your best ROI. But if you if you think that you can survive or grow a law firm on a low cost per acquisition, you are sorely mistaken. The other question, and this is really specific to MVA, right? And I'm gonna answer this with motor vehicle accidents specifically. Direct response in social. It's a thing, by and large, when Guy and I have been talking about social media, we've been talking about building both brand awareness and brand affinity, which makes measurement of an individual attribution for a specific matter, impossible. It's not a thing. It's not a one-touch thing. There are, however, direct response options in social. They tend to, I mean, I know what you think about the creative that does work for direct response for specifically, say, auto accidents in social, Gi, but it tends to be less of a focus, at least for my firm and my clients, than that brand awareness, brand affinity build.
1: Yeah, I think it's a different, it's a different play, and I think that you said a lot of good things in there that I, I, think we probably should parse a little bit, especially if this is still kind of new for you, all this mumbo jumbo. But the first thing Conrad was mentioning is that if you're going to try to answer this question with like some universal number, you know, again, you, we give plenty of examples where the cost per acquisition for a specific campaign was disproportionately lower than like every other campaign we've done. And we could start talking about all of the campaigns that we've ever run and say, oh, I'll take an average, which there's problems with averaging, especially when the data set is wildly all over the map. So you could take a median. But even then, are you talking about direct response, right? So you're saying we're only counting, you know, you show up in the feed, call, hire, and it's all tracked right there. And then, you know, we're going to assume that we're just talking about motor vehicle accidents and we're just talking about in Salt Lake, you know, you got to, you should be normalizing across location because that's going to vary a lot as well. And then you still got to talk about volume. So, you know, is this a, you know, how many cases are you opening from social media at the cost per acquisition? And so then again, we're still back to it and we're not trying to dodge the question. What's the best one you've ever seen? There are a lot of people out there talking about sub-100. 100, sub-100 100 cost per acquisition across a variety of practice areas, but certainly PI would be in that mix.
0: Sub-100 cost per acquisition. That sounds That's, delightful, Guy. It's what folks are out there. That's what my, my Facebook feed is filled with. So at the
1: risk of asking the obvious, do you believe that, Guy? Well, again, I... I I don't, I'm not even going to try to cast aspersions that there's something nefarious going on. You just got to be specific in what you're reporting on, right? So, like, do I think that there are examples of sub 100 cost per acquisition social media campaigns? Yes, I'm, I, I know there are. You know, for MVA in Salt Lake, that's solely single click direct response and at a volume that can support your practice or hit your growth objective. I think the cost is probably higher, <laughs> maybe, but. <laughs> Well, no, 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 but
0: like, so so I think your focus on the volume piece, I think that's what everyone misses. You may be able to get one or two cases at a very low cost, and that's great, but it is not enough. And so it is the wrong, when you look at the bell curve and those averages and the means and the medians and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't matter if you can't feed your people and keep your lights on, right? And so the focus on the best as lowest is just so short-sighted. And we're now abusing our questioner, so we'll beep out your name or something like
1: yeah, that. Yeah, no, but-, I, but again, being I'm empathetic to the questioner because you know the questioner, they if assuming that they're spending money, they want a benchmark. They're like, hey, I'm going to ask these guys who do this, what's their best cost per acquisition? And you know, we're saying without not not intending to dodge the question, you know, we can throw out some numbers. You know, I threw out forty seven, but the point is, is that contextually, it doesn't do anybody any good to go out and say. If you're not doing a $50 motor vehicle cost per acquisition, you should fire your agency or fire your marketing director, blah, 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 because there's all sorts of variation. There's all sorts of variables in there. And again, at the end of the day, I think you should be looking at your cost per acquisition change over time. But if what Conrad and I, I think, are on the same page about is optimizing to your cost per acquisition is probably the wrong metric to be
0: optimizing to. I think a different framework to think about this with, we try and talk about this all the time is, and it's the same math, but what is your acceptable cost per case? What is the percentage of that case that you're willing to give up in order to acquire the case? And if it's 20%, that means you work for Google or Conrad or Gee on Mondays, right? And that may or may not be okay with you. It's just a much better way to look at things than, than kind of the focus on the, on the best, because the best won't really get you where you want to go from a volume perspective. Okay. We're in daybreak.
1: And we're back. So for a long time, lunch hour, legal marketing listeners and YouTube viewers, uh, you're probably familiar with this theme that Conrad and I have been running with. And it comes back from a tech show presentation that we presented on, gosh, now two tech shows ago. The idea is that we're building this team of marketing people. If you had a you know limitless budget and resources, like what roles would you have on the team? And today, we're going to talk about the off-hours operator. So Conrad, when you think of this Dream Team member, what do you recall telling Tech Show, what do you think is important to think about? Why is the off-hours operator on the Dream Team?
0: So this was a flagrant... Push to consider using, and and I'm literally looking at our notes from that ABA Tech Show talk, we pushed Smith, Ruby, Lex Reception, and Posh. So Posh was a sponsor of the podcast for a while. Smith, we've been friends with Maddie over at Smith for a long time. Ruby was kind of one of the earliest players in this game. And Lex Reception, although I don't have a lot of clients on it, they have always had a fairly positive presence in the marketplace. And that was kind of what we were pushing. the The counterpoint. Well, well on the, hold on, yeah, hold
1: on a second, though. Yeah, yeah, I want to zoom out a little bit. Zoom. So, because you you named a bunch of virtual receptionists. Yeah. But you don't necessarily. What are some other ways you could have an off hours operator? Right. So oh. I think the the starting question is is like, why is this person on the team? For me, and I know we've tied to us a million times. You're running paid ads. You're doing call tracking from a variety of sources. Whatever it is. And you're like, there's a bunch of people calling, not during the day. Right.
0: Go back to an earlier episode where Guy and I suggested that running LSAs when you don't have anyone to answer the phone is a bad idea.
1: Great. So that's really, it's answering inquiries on off hours. I think hopefully it's obvious why this is important. I mean, I, we, you know, I've been trying to be empathetic. There are lawyers that still say like, I don't want cases from the people who are calling at off hours. And I'm like, Okay. Great. Your market is now 10% smaller. Talk about cost for acquisition. I bet it goes up. Yeah. So then you realize it's like, look, there there are a lot of people that want to talk to you, get a consultation from you, off hours. How do you handle that? So option one, lawyer, you can just be on your phone answering all calls, all hours of the day, no sleeping, not realistic, not scalable, not healthy. Okay. You could hire probably a couple people to cover 24 hours, right? Uh, I don't know how many people, at least maybe three or four, and that's pretty
0: slim, especially if you're doing volume. In all fairness, I do have a couple of clients who offshore this, and they have full-time staff 24-7, right? Now, they're larger firms, and that has been their approach, and, and it is effective.
1: Do you distinguish that from virtual receptionists?
0: Yes. I'll tell you why. And this is a really key distinction. They're dedicated. The problem, they're dedicated, 100%. Yeah. The problem with the virtual receptionist is I'm Joey. I don't really like my job. I'm working remotely. I answer the phone for 700 law firms around the country. I don't really care to figure out how to answer with your correct name, the pronunciation of that weird name, Sam or Sam. I don't know. And I don't really care. I don't know what type of cases you really do. And probably... I might not even have access to your calendar and know who I can book and who I can't book. So like, I'm going to do a at best average job, right? So the answer to your question, Guy, is I do not consider those to be kind of the virtual receptions because it is dedicated and because those people are going through training. They learn about the firm. They're bought into the firm. They only work for that firm. There's some level of training that you can actually give them. I think it works. Okay.
1: It's another option automated right phone tree could be like you know press one for this press two for this working through and then eventually that's still either going to go to a human or someone's going to call you back welcome to movie phone right i mean my bank is on this system yeah i'll tell you that's the one where i'm like you got to do something else because when we first implemented call tracking years ago it was not surprisingly, in hindsight, but hang-ups. Yeah.
0: People just hang up. Because what people want from a lawyer is they want responsiveness. And nothing says, I'm not responsive, then please press three to speak to somebody. Right?
1: Yeah. And, and I think there also it's the, uh, I mean, at least in my experience, it's <laughs> you're screaming operator or connect me to somebody or zero the whole time. Right, That's the other thing I, we noticed in, when we were looking at our call rail data. Like, why are people pushing the button? It's because they're trying <laughs> to push zero to get to the operator. So, again, you know, client experience stuff. Now, I'm, again, I'm sympathetic because not everybody can hire the full time team. I know some firms, we get a lot of pushback even trying to hire the virtual team. And so, if cost is a major factor, you know, this is one of those areas where people think maybe I would trim some costs. I, I don't love that place as a cost trimming area. But some firms will say, this is the best we can do. What about an automated voice, like AI type of thing? It's a bot. It's a voice chat bot. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. So this is where things have really moved dramatically over the 12 months since we put this out, right? There is the growing expectation, and, and you guys get this when you call in for customer support in lots of different places, that can be handled through voice, right? And you can still scream operator, operator, talk to a person, right? But with AI, you can respond to that differently than please press three, you didn't press three, right? Like go back to the beginning and start all over again. That is really becoming something and a changing pattern of what we expect And so that did not exist in our ABA tech show off hours operator conversation, but it is certainly on the table today.
1: Yeah, and look, this is where it's going enterprise wise. I mean, many major companies are moving to this kind of model, where is you know front line of defense is this voice bot, which you know just getting warmed up. So, folks, if you've had experience with these, you can hashtag LHLM or post on your social media how we're these things don't work very well. They're getting a lot better. And I think the other important thing here is, is what is the purpose of the off hours operator? It's not to conduct a full intake at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) All right.
0: So, so yeah, let's go. This is, this is actually really tricky. You're right. It isn't to conduct a full intake at three in the morning, unless maybe you do have that dedicated staff, which would be a better solution.
1: Well, I'll tell you the ideal. The ideal with that would be is you've got front line of defense, either okay. virtual receptionist, or maybe you do. Here's my stack. This is the stack I would Go. To recommend. Hit it. I would do chatbot starting, voice chatbot okay. start. Make it very clear how they can opt out. Okay. Supported by a virtual receptionist with the virtual receptionist script identifying lead qualification, you know, and you know, you hear lawyers, trial lawyers talk about this all the time. Someone calls you at three o'clock in the morning and says their family member was killed in a semi-truck. That's not a, we'll call you in the morning. It's just not. You're never going to, you're going to have a really hard time winning those clients because they have a totally different expectation. And, you know, and then you start doing the math game and you're like, well, that's, one out of a million calls. But this is why it's much more about systems and processes and how the tech works within those systems and processes than the tech itself. Right now, a chatbot is not the end-all, be-all for every intake experience. And frankly, neither is a virtual
0: receptionist. Right. So there's two elements. One is different people want to interact with your firm in different ways, right? And this is generational. It's situational, and so you need to understand that what my standard answer to this, and this has been what we'll call the standard third-party virtual receptionist, Smith, Ruby, Lex, et cetera, Their job is not to take a message. And I think that has been an often mistaken perspective, right? Like, oh, it's okay. We're going to take a message and I'll get back to you tomorrow. Bullshit you may as well just have a please leave a message for me, right? You're just leaving it with someone who happens to be a human who doesn't know how to say your name. What their job is, to me, is to schedule an appointment, to bring that person further down the funnel, the experience of engaging with your firm, right? The classic is like, okay, I see that um, Joe is available to talk to you at 10 o'clock tomorrow. Is, are you available? Yes, that's great. Can I get your email? Yes, I've got your email. Now we're going to send you an automated email that shows that you've got an appointment with Joe tomorrow at 10. At 9.45 tomorrow morning, you get the reminder, blah, blah, blah. And Joe gets a reminder It's on his calendar. And that all happens automatically through a virtual reception service. That's kind of my ideal. The problem with that is the vetting on that can be sloppy. You can let people in who you don't really want to talk to. If you're a really picky firm and you've got someone at Smith who you know doesn't know the pickiness of your firm, it's going to be very hard for them to do a great job of, of vetting that client. You can lose some business that way or, or waste a bunch of time that way. But ultimately, focus on helping that consumer, that possible spender of money with you, further down the path to spending that money. And I do think that with AI and integration with more technology, you can make that even easier and more seamless. That's where some magic starts to happen.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, and I the when I think of the off-hours operator, the objective is to stop the search. Ha! Great. Get them to stop going to the next law firm. And so I think all the things you said are great. I think you're, they're less likely to search if they have an appointment coming up. They're less likely to search if they feel like they made a connection with the intake yeah. person. And again, that's the stuff, you know, hard to scale. Yeah. Empathy is hard to scale. Yeah. Client service is hard to scale. But for me, that's kind of my thing is, is like flip it on its head and say, there are all sorts of places to do automation and more efficiency and yada, yada, yada. And maybe even the front end of intake is. But at the end of the day, that experience, that potential client experience and client experience, you better have it locked down because if that's where you're going to cut costs and switch back to leave a message or phone tree, we're going to tell you that you don't have a lead problem. You have a conversion problem from qualified lead to through the intake process. But unfortunately, I can't tell you any more about that because we are out of time. Thank you, dear listeners, for chiming in to... Tuning in, I suppose, as we're chiming, you're tuning. Tuning in to this episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Please do provide us some feedback, leave a review, find us on YouTube, get involved in the conversation. Until next time, Kian Conrad saying farewell.
0: Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts
1: and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram.
0: The social media aspect of this. Hold on.
1: Conrad's shaking the snow out of his brain. Sorry. Um, That sounds like I have a drug problem. Um, <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah, I, 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 Conrad was uh, hawking up a loogie. Thank you. Much better. <laughs>